0: Welcome back, Inebriate. This is Andy, as always. Um, and today, we're actually joined by uh, an actor we've had quite a few actors on recently, so that's, we're on a pretty good streak there. Um, and this particular actor, uh, you guys should know him. Uh, he's been on Independence Day. Uh, Donnie Darko, Frank the Bunny himself, uh, James Duvall. Welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, Andy, thank you for having me. Uh, it's good to see everybody. How are you all doing out there?
0: Um, so... You have kind of this credit of Donnie Darko, and, I, and I'm not gonna lie, I've seen it, but in, in preparation for this, I'm kind of like, I remember it being weird, but I don't remember fully what happened. I had to go back and like reread the synopsis. When you signed up for that, what were you, like, what was, what were you thinking like when you read that script? Because it is a bizarre movie.
1: It really is. Well, you know, there was a couple things that went through my head. Um, one, I, was, I had to go back and forth before I could even get to the end. Just understand what I was, you know, as with the script, you can do that not so easily when you're watching a movie. You know, I guess you could, if it's on DVD, go back and forth, but you know, generally you just watch it all the way through. And so as I was reading it, trying to understand, I had to go back and forth. But one thing that caught me from the get-go was it reminded I grew up loving the original Rod Sterling Twilight Zones. Mm -hmm. It tapped into that unknowing that something into that Twilight Zone, you know, inside of myself. And I liked the later ones, you know, in the eighties and the movies that came out, but they weren't, I've always felt that they didn't quite have that panache, that oomph, or that certain Je ne sais quoi, so to speak, that the original ones had. And when I've read Donnie Darko, I mean, it screamed to me like, wow, this is an episode of the original Twilight Zone, but in movie form modern day. And that was literally my initial reaction. Yeah. I, I could totally see that for sure. I was, yeah. I was really excited about it. And I really didn't think I was going to get the part because it was written for someone who was six feet tall and blonde and I'm five foot nine and, you know, just a little off blonde at the moment. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so I figured, you know, I love the script so much and I thought it was really, I just really thought it was so cool, you know, and I love the characters and uh, i decided decided, you know, if they were going to audition me, I was going to go in and I was going to give it my all. Yeah. And probably read it another seven or eight times just to make sure I had a really good hold of them what Frank meant to me anyways so at least when I auditioned you know I still specifically remember going in the audition and they were like so do you obviously you have questions and I'm sort of like no I want you, I don't have any questions actually I just want you guys to know one thing I totally get it <laughs> and they were just sort of like all righty so let's do it and the audition scene was when I run Gretchen over yeah when he is just a normal kid, so by doing the back work and reading the script, and you know, I don't know, still to this degree, if a lot of people are aware that I'm Donnie's sister's boyfriend.
0: Okay, Does I don't. Like I said, it me? was so long ago that I saw it, and I was just reading. So something. when when
1: yeah. when Maggie gets dropped off in the very beginning of the movie, it's an orange Trans Am that drops her off.
0: Yeah, and that's oh, my Trans Am. Yeah.
1: So it's not necessarily that I'm a supernatural character, but I'm closer to Donnie than the audience is shown. Right. The audience realizes. When she comes in the phone and talks about how he told the teacher to insert the timeline in her anus, now that like his dad wants to buy him a moped, she's talking to me on the phone.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Or to my
1: character, oh. I should say. Right, right, yeah. You know, I actually she was talking to just nothing that day at filming. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was off shooting something else that day, but um. Yeah, so there's a lot of really kind of cool clues that are happening. You know, uh, the, F, the FAA, you know, guy, the FBI officer, the men in black, who's there when the jet engine gets lifted up. And yeah. then he shows up while Donnie's trying to kiss Gretchen, but she wants the moment to be special and he's that smoking jogger. Then it cuts later on and he's at the Halloween party with everybody and he's watching Donnie.
0: Huh. He's watching Donnie
1: through that whole movie. Donnie is being watched by a man in black.
0: Oh, that's really interesting so yeah I, so i'm gonna fun. go back and like really give it like another once over because i remember liking yeah. it but it was just like years ago that i watched it there's
1: there's so many you know because i loved the story so much even before we started filming i was you know like i said i kept going over the script over and over and you know there's really so many kind of magical elements in there like that the whole grandma death thing and you know, being a nun and then leaving the convent and then writing the book, the, the philosophy of time travel and her whole life changes. And she saw the future. She's been going back, you know, Oh, grandma's going to go get mail. Oh wait. You know, she just checked it. No way. Yeah. She's going back. There could be mail. And she gets back and it's like, Oh, sorry, grandma, no mail. And then <laughs> stone ad libs. Ah, somebody really ought to write that bitch. And I know <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's so fucking funny when he says that and i know when he first shot that scene they got upset at him for cursing for saying that yeah but come on i mean it's donnie and the kids and the smurfs and Papa smurf jacking off and like and you can't say that so really it is it's kind of this nice little bookend to that scene and of course as we all know it made the film
0: right that that, that's that's always a cool thing um (laughs) how was it is it significantly more difficult acting in something that like completely covers you like that rabbit suit
1: quite the on quite the opposite actually it almost feels like cheating it's it's what the really? uh, yeah the honest response i had to that is i'm including myself when i first saw it was wow they really you know when you add all the elements to it it really makes it something because it wasn't even as complicated. I think, you know, at least when Peter Mayhew was playing Chewbacca, he spoke like that old man's mad. And they just, but (laughs) you know, there was this whole thing of, I had to scream through the mask so Jake could hear me, especially from a distance. So it was really, you know, sort of like 28 days, (laughs) you know what I mean? And he's, I'm muffled. So he, and I'm kind of, so he has to credit to him for having to memorize and, Hit those cues on the muffles because I was trying to be as clear as I can, which is difficult through that suit. Sure, Um, you know. So, in a lot of ways, it was just beyond that. It was just sort of showing up, and you know, it's the easiest job I've ever had. I think (laughs) (laughs) it was just so cool because I didn't have hair and makeup when I showed up in the morning. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Hey, how's everybody doing? And then go sit down on the chair while they're filming, and then they bring the suit out, and they're like, "Okay, you ready?" I'm like, "Okay, yeah." Get in the suit, and they. Suit me up, and then I get in, and they go stand me on my mark, and you know if I have the lines, I scream through it. But I'm not really moving around, walking, or doing any of those things. So there's not really marks or anything to hit. I'm just standing there. So just stand there and say the lines through the mask. Which of course I went in six months later, and you know Richard Kelly and I kind of came up with that cadence, and you know we found that on the spot. It's kind of like this interview, like let's let's find what Frank is. Right. you know, we had ideas, but let's find it. And that's what you hear in the film, which is yeah. really, I think, you know, I did a whisper of, wake up, Donnie, I want you to follow me. And I did one regular, wake up, Donnie, I want you to follow me. And then I did one kind of like, wake up, Donnie, I want you to follow me. And then they take it and they split it. It's all these yeah. different Including one, wake up. And I think it was, there was no kind of really loud one. It was just the medium, the low and the whisper. And that's the one they split into maybe five or six levels. And that's what you hear until I take the mask off. And then you just hear my normal voice Yeah, without the mask. But it was, it really was, you know, it was, it was, it was fun to sit there and, you know, okay, Jimmy, we need you mask on, turn your head to the left, (laughs) straight Turn your head to the right. Look straight. Look up, look straight, perfect cut. I'm like, man, this job's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, and I guess, you know, the backstory to that is too, which is pretty cool. I know at one point when I finished the audition, they said, okay, because you only see his face a couple times in the movie. Yeah. You know, you see it when he takes the mask off and he's missing the eye in the theater. You see it when he runs over Gretchen Mm -hmm. and he's just the boyfriend who went to get beer who went driving drunk and he ran over the girl because he was drunk. Right. And there's the very ending scene where it's the flashback. Donnie goes back to his room. The jet engine falls. We go back to our normal lives, to the alternate reality. He saves the world. Mm-hmm. He saves the universe. And we all, and you know, when it cuts back, you see me with both eyes kind of touch my, like I recall that maybe I'm missing it. Like all of us are going, you know, you see Patrick Swayze's character, Jim Cunningham, crying and tortured. And you see Mrs. You know, it, uh, and, uh, no and like two, two people like wave before. to each other. That
0: Pardon? don't and like two people wave to each other that don't know each other but kind of remember knowing each other, that kind of yes, the mom yeah. and Gretchen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um it's 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 so the here's a funny thing too. So there was a scene we never
1: shot where I actually have my arm around uh Maggie's character. Yeah. just sister comforting her because I was her boyfriend Right. Yeah so we got which I think makes sense that maybe that would make me seem appear a bit a little bit more supernatural than i was because i am just manipulated dead and he's manipulated living but it really is you know i'm not this supernatural as you know character the bunny is my halloween costume that he shot me
0: right yeah yeah.
1: I manifest in the halloween costume so it's like kind of going through this journey you know even before we film and you know figuring all this stuff out so that it becomes as clear as possible so there's no confusion when you're filming what you're doing and where you going? With the exception of not knowing exactly what Frank's voice would be like in the future.
0: Now, now, going from something so heady and complex to something so more or less bang, bang, shoot em up to like Independence Day. Like, do you like that kind of trying a little bit of everything or do you have a preference to one or the other?
1: No, I definitely it's more now than ever. I think <clears throat> it's interesting you say that because when I shot Independence Day, I actually sh- was shooting another movie at the exact same time. So I was shooting a movie with Greg Araki called Nowhere, which was a one and a half million dollar movie. Yeah. And I'd shoot for a week in Los Angeles, play, you know, the whole movie's about disenfranchised youth, doing drugs, having sex with each other, all the wrong stuff. And then I would get off of this little tiny indie movie because I started making movies with Craig. And Roland was quite a fan of Greg's films, which is, you know, fortunate for me, part, helped me get cast in Independence Day. Yeah. But um, I would take my earrings out, switch my part, get on a plane, fly to Utah, shoot the stuff in Utah with Randy Quaid and my brother and sister, finish out the week there, come back, put my earrings back in, flip my part. So there's actually one point, because I know Greg got mad, because after being in the desert for five days, there's a scene in nowhere where I kind of have that farmer's tan from the <laughs> tank that my character wore, and yes. that's because I was filming in Independence Day from the week before that. So at one point, I don't have the tan mark, and the movie's all in one day. And then yeah. I show up from the side.
0: <laughs> the side of oh, that's funny.
1: Me. I, was, I mean, it was really great that they made it work out. But, you know, I did that for a couple of weeks. I went to LA, Utah, LA, Utah, wrapped out Utah, came to LA, finished Nowhere for two more weeks, wrapped that movie, then went to the stages and finished Independence Day in the next like five, four or five weeks, I think.
0: It, and, it's funny. Like, that's the way I love to work on projects. Like, I love to have multiple things going at once because i feel like i get bored easy it was well
1: you know it's really kind of incredible as i thought okay this is going to be and i've since made a few movies at the same time since then and i don't have a problem with it and that really sort of sorted it out for me because it was very early in my career and you know and i'm still in the stages where i'm still learning you know i'm still perfecting my craft although i'm a lot more confident now than i was back then Mm -hmm. um i have a few more things under my belt uh, so, you know, I was trying, I wanted to tr- tackle other genres and I, you know, was a bit nervous about it in my early 20s. So it was as fun as it was to go from indie drama or like kind of like these indie kind of really weird movies to these huge studio movies was really quite fun. And I think after that, I, I felt so fortunate because I got to work with Doug Lyman right after Swingers on Go, and yeah, I got to yeah. work with James Marantino on SLC Punk um i felt like i was just like movie after movie. i was just getting lucky movie after movie um where it came up as i kind of got older so by the end of the 90s when i started to get into my early 30s i didn't look like my early 30s i didn't play early 30s so i got in this weird really in between stage for about 10 or 15 years i'm just coming out of it now to be quite honest which is strange but um what i did was i started doing romance sci-fi horror, horror comedy, horror rom-com comedy, you know, anything I could get my hands on to keep my craft sharp, but also to just develop it, to sharpen it. You know, we're talking here, you know, which is, I think, incredible about all the things you do. And I, you know, and I really meant that because being an artist and being a creative, there's never an end to it. There's no end to learning. and There's no end to finding new avenues to express yourself. And really the idea the hope for people like us, no matter what that art is, what you're creating, is to continue creating and find those things that inspire you. You know, and for me, I find it in doing things that, well, I don't normally wanna do that, or maybe just kind of little, I'm a little scared to do that, then I know I have to do it, you know? I mean, be right. yeah, yeah. nothing I can't do, mm-hmm. especially I, I, if I'm not busy. I don't have an excuse to not develop my art with other people who are passionate about developing theirs. In all genres, in all walks of art, in anything, no matter what, where, you know, it lies. So whether it's a film short or a video, or I'm helping working on this documentary now about Kim Kahana, this legendary stuntman who'd been around since the days of Lee Marvin. You know, I got out of, he was picking pineapples in a plantation during Pearl Harbor when he was a kid. Didn't no really know his parents. Stowed yeah. away to the mainland a few times before he was able to come over in 18 or 19 then he joined the army and he got shipped to korea to the korean war which is mm-hmm. a pretty dark period in his life got out of that and wanted to get into stunts and it, and he did and he became this legendary stuntman that all the greats have learned from that he learned from the greats at the time so a lot of the union rules or safety rules uh, safety cables and flipping cars and whatnot all those things didn't have well they didn't have unions back right he's didn't have safety rules or harnesses and so he's one of the people responsible for bringing a lot of that to the forefront you know uh before we had all those things was a, one of the stuntmen was the first person to do all these things and it's funny because you know there's a scene we reenact about when he was doing you know cool hand loop mm-hmm. with paul newman and you guys you got to know paul newman a little bit because he was an extra in the movie you know paul newman was asking about acting he's like well i'm really a stuntman but don't you know, don't tell him I'm a stuntman because back then you got paid for being an extra. You didn't really get paid for being a stuntman. Oh, really? Used and abused and thrown. Yeah, it's it's really. Oh. And so this man is one of the people responsible for changing that. You know, so he had to hide the fact that he was a stuntman so he could get paid as a stuntman and an extra. But he got paid as an extra who did the stunts instead of just a stuntman who only Stunt got man. paid. Uh, yeah. And he ended up making more money back then. And this is, you know, that's the 60s. And he ended up being like, he, he did this thing with Richard Donner. Like, hey, Chongo! Oh, and, Danger yeah. Island! Danger Island, he's Chongo. That's, Shut Ah, that's, that's, Really? <laughs> so that whole thing where he goes... <laughs> yeah. Like, all those things, you know, there's a whole piece that we filmed, which is true, when he was talking to You know, Paul Newman about it. He's like, So, you want to act? He's like, No, I don't really like to learn lines. You know, I just would rather make bird noises. And he goes, What? He's like, Yeah, like what he does in in Danger Island because he doesn't want to learn dial. He doesn't like learning dial.
0: That's so funny. I literally posted a picture on my timeline on Facebook yesterday of the banana splits, which is what Danger Island was part of, just randomly, no explanation. And it was really interesting just to see the people who got it and didn't get it and there were so many Danger Island references because that was like the best part of the show.
1: It was. I, I tell you, what, I'm, I'm really, I'm elated that you, not only that you know it, but you did a piece on it because, I mean, it is a part of history, you know. I think that whole thing of him sliding down, he made all those up. He, they do those kind of things. Didn't, rigs didn't exist. He made those rigs up for yeah. Danger Island. You know, he got <laughs> cast as a stuntman because he was really good friends with Richard Donner. I mean, his chango Chongo, but he was a stuntman
0: yeah and that's like early Donner career like very very early yeah. so we did
1: reenactments of Chongo of Chongo and Danger Island and with Richard Donner describing the scenes of you know how he was going to do the slide down and how Richard had to get it you know you got to get it someone gonna do it once you better get it the first time <laughs> right I won't do I'm only doing it once you know so um really what's, interesting. The, what's the name of the documentary just um the, right now it's called the Kahana Project okay and still in the midst of working on it but you know it's uh there is a 60, 70 years to cover here, you know, time with Charles Bronson, you know, yeah, yeah. stuntman for Charles Bronson and those early Bronson movies before even Death Wish back in the, 50, the 60s and 70s. Um, yeah, he's got, I think it's the only stunt school right now, which is this shirt's from when I went to go film the documentary a few months ago, the Kim Kahana stunt school. And it's a whole school on learning how to do stunts. You move in there for four to six weeks you can take the stunt course.
0: Huh. Do, do you get to do your own stunts or is it just an interest from being in the films um, like well what's funny
1: is when i was young because i did gymnastics and i did martial arts when i was younger so for instance i would i think i've done martial arts in a few movies now in the 90s i hit it because i didn't want people people to know because i didn't think that the martial arts movies were as good <laughs> i'm like you will but it is obviously over sorry yeah, but guy. some of
0: them are really good in a bad way like <laughs> well, they great
1: in the bad way, but yeah. I was trying not to do that where yeah. now I would do those in a heartbeat because I just have a different perception of it. Right, but I definitely had more of an ego, I think, as a kid, which got in the way of my artistic growth, to be quite honest with you. Not that I don't feel that I haven't grown or I didn't learn from that. But I think that that was the most important thing I learned is artistic growth is to go out and, you know, it's okay to like these things and not worry about what people thought. And that's kind of the wonderful thing. Once you get in your thirties and your forties, you don't care what
0: people it's think. It's so but liberating they, to be like, oh, yeah, I like Miley Cyrus. I don't care. You know, I don't care what you yeah. think. And I don't
1: care what you like. <laughs> you yeah. know what I, mean? I care yeah, what, exactly. you about what I like, what inspires me. Because as long as what you like inspires you, why would I care?
0: And yeah, I, I love exactly. how you I love how you talk about continuing to learn all through your life. We had um, Kate Linder, who was an actress on the young or is an actress on the young and the restless. And she's played the same character for like pushing 40 years. I think it's like it's well over 30. And when we had her, she talked about going to class. And I'm like, oh, are you teaching? She goes, no. And I was just kind of like taken aback where I'm like, you've been playing the same character. Like, why are you still She's like, cause you can always learn something. And I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah, of course you can. Like, it just like, I love really that grow. mentality of you. You never stop learning
1: from people that are pros that have been doing it longer than you to contemporaries, to people that have just stepped on the set for the first time. There's always something magical to learn and pick up. And if you're open to those things, you know, as an artist, you'll grow, you'll grow exponentially. Yeah. And that's, as you as you know because you know, you've experienced it, and your group has experienced it, that's the joy of it really it's not about you know i kind of have had a few conversations as of recent which is you know it's really interesting and flattering you know like what's that end-all be-all role and that's what's that movie you're looking for and i'm like well i've kind of done that and they kind of come and go mm-hmm. you know and i've had an end-all be-all character that i thought i'd really like to play this and i read the script and i'm like this is horrible then i've gotten a script where i'm like i really don't want to play a character like this and you read it and you're like this is brilliant yeah I have to do it. so then it's not about setting my eyes, you know? So for me, it's interesting. It's just that perception to hear that perception. Cause my perception is just so different. It lies on like, well, I'll know when I read it, you know, I'm open to whatever you got. I'm not set on a particular character being the end. all be all cause those end all be all movies. If you do it and it comes out well and it does well, that's wonderful. Okay. What next? <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause you got to get up and get out and do things the next day. And it's, and it's wonderful. How to have those things but if you look at a body of work it's, it's something I learned from Roland Emmerich believe it or not and Dean Devlin and I use this as a foundation for my career and I've told this story over and over again and I know maybe some people think I'm a bit nuts but I really think this is profound and it's profound when it comes to you know artistic growth and artistic integrity and artistic morals and you know, just being artistic in general and we had done Independence Day and it was such a successful movie. And I became pretty good friends with them at the time. They were going to do Godzilla. Yeah. And every time they do a movie, Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla, they leave the country so they don't hear the press. They don't hear whether the movie's doing good or bad. They're, they separate themselves from that. And then they just get the news later. Yeah. So while we were sitting there for Independence Day, it was mind blowing, like biggest movie at the time in 10 days to 100 million. It kept breaking these records, which is like, oh my gosh, we're just in Mexico trying to forget about it. This is great. So the next time I didn't work on Godzilla with him, but I was, you know, being friends, I celebrated with the release of it in Mexico. Much different this time. <laughs> <laughs> this time the reviews were coming in and, you know, and I remember, and I'll never forget this, the sun's coming down. We're in Puerto Vallarta. It's beautiful. The Bay of Banderas. And it's on this deck with the pool made of stone and Roland has a cigar and Dean's really, you know, and I, and I, and I, I could feel it. You know, it was kind of heavy. It was hurt. You know, it's like, wow, all these people, all these people were kind of like tearing our movie apart, tearing us apart. These people loved us just not two years ago. Now these same people trying to bury us because, you know, how nasty some people can be, especially the mainstream press. Oh, for sure. And he, Roland just looked at him, which was brilliant. And he goes, Dean, Dean, Dean. We don't profess to be geniuses. You know, we did Universal Soldier, did good, did Stargate, it did better. We did Independence Day, that's, big success and then we fail, but we did the best we could. You always do the best you could. It's not about succeeding or failing. It's about doing the best you can every time. So over time, when you look back on your career and you in the present and you move forward, you can truly call yourself a craftsman (laughs) and it hit me. That's, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be an actor or a star. I mean, I do want to be an actor. But I don't want yeah. to be, a star. I don't want, those I want to be a craftsman. I want to be an artist. I want to learn about myself and the world around me and people around me and connect in the way that music and movies and art and books and all those things have always enticed me and drawn me in and inspired me and connected me to things that I felt completely shut off. And as you, as you know, and I think I speak with kindred spirits again. And so I was so excited to oh, yeah. say the things you said about your, are the group's artistic, you know, process, because that's very much mine, you know, going out there and expanding it and trying new things and just expressing yourself because it all culminates together in this lifelong sort of, Odyssey and journey. And then that's when it becomes incredible. You have those moments and you have those ups and you have those downs, but then that's when you look at it as a whole. You're like, man, what if that roller coaster was awesome? <laughs> <And it's cool. laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and yeah. you know what?
0: I, I've recently had a, 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 that roller coaster experience. Um, and I always say, like, everything we do is almost always by accidents, never by design. You know, someone will pitch an idea and we just automatically say yes, usually before they're done pitching the idea. Um, but now we're doing comedy shows and I'm like, well, the next logical thing is let's do a music show. And we did a music show and venue was phenomenal. The sound was amazing. The bands were great. And like 30 people showed up and I'm being super generous to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was just like for days, days, I was like inconsolable. And then it was just like a matter of sitting down with someone else who, who ran similar events and, and, and just kind of being like, yeah, man, they don't all work out. And, you know, sometimes the the crowd is going to tell you what they want to see and you got to listen and, and figure out where to go next. And, it, you know, if you believe in that band and that venue and, and what you're doing, you just try again. And, and uh yeah, but it, it's that, you know, up and down and then we'll do another event and. You know, comedy show will sell out in like two weeks and, you know, three weeks before the show actually happens. And it's just like, OK, you know, this is it, it takes a different mindset to do this sort of thing opposed to someone who wakes up and does their office job. And because well, you, you know, put
1: yourself out there and if you fail, as opposed to the office job, who cares? You go home, you clock out, who cares about the office? But when right. you're putting your heart and soul into this and someone, you know, clips you, you take that home
0: with you oh yeah you're like this is my fault and everyone's like yeah, it's not your you, fault you're, you're like serious. no no you don't it's understand like a, it's like a weight <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh but it is you're right it, it's that uh, it's kind of those highs and lows and you try to look back and look at all the fun stuff and cool things that you got to do and cool people you get to talk to and
1: it, it's and also those those things that so what seemed as a weight first what i carried as a weight usually i was able to cut loose In the learning process, because there was something that I learned along the way that I hadn't known before any of these negative situations that popped up. So therefore, what had seemed at least and were negative at the time to get something positive out of it was sort of like walking away with a tool. Mm -hmm. So it it didn't work because I didn't have the tool at the time. But since it's broke and then I felt and I broke my ankle, my, my ankle's got a cast on. It, now I'm walking forward. But you know what? I'm walking away with that tool. <laughs> yeah. So when this pops up again, it's going to be something else that breaks my ankle. It's not going to be this. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just going to wrap it up and I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And, and I mean, and we learn
0: more thing. from failure.
1: That's where we learn, really. Yeah. And that's where I'm, you know. It, it took a long time, especially in my 20s, having a bit of an ego, you know, I think as we all do, even though you're like, I don't have an ego, I'm fighting it, you know, especially when you're younger, you know, it's more difficult. But as once I was able to kind of begin to learn to shed that, that's when it became like, oh, no, this is just about growth. Like, all these things that I thought were these end-all, be-all moments came and went, and I really was like, now what?
0: Yeah, well, it's now that... Is it Steve Martin and Parenthood? I can't remember who says it in Parenthood, but they're like, you never get to spike the football and like <laughs> there's no end of the game like you, it keeps going there yeah. is no, and that's but that's what
1: the wonderful thing is because it keeps going, that means that those failures aren't really failures they're they're stepping stones that take you to the next level
0: yeah, they I, can I, next I, level. I agree one hundred percent, and it always it means any bad thing means what you want it to mean. And I'm going to kind of bring the tone down a little bit. Um, so my father passed away 18 so years ago. in de- Oh, 18 years ago in December. I mean, it was a long time ago. Um, but I made the conscious decision where I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be one of those people to get super, it was around Christmas to get super bummed out because of missing him. And of course I miss him, but I made the conscious decision that every year on the anniversary of his passing, I drink a shot of Southern comfort because that's what he drank and toast him. And then I spend however long it takes me. And I text every person that means something to me and say, I love you. You're important to me. Raise a glass to my dad. And so I've taken something that is a a tragic memory and, and made it a really positive thing in my life because God forbid something happened to me. I know the people who are important to me. No.
1: And that's, you know, dealing with, you know, I've been dealing with a lot of death in the last couple of years myself. And I think, you know, that's, if it's anything, you know, cause one of them was someone who, you know, I was close and I'd lost touch over about 10 years, you know, and that's sort of the thing that happens, you know, in your twenties, it's like two years is kind of becomes five years in your thirties, yep, becomes ten sure. in your forties and, yeah, ended up, you know, and we just barely reconnected, when he ended up passing. Oh, and when sorry. he ended up passing, um, think, like, you know, it's okay. It's, uh, I mean, it's... it's I knew he was going
0: to bring world. it down. I didn't think I was going to bring it down. That much. No, no, no. are well, <laughs> amazing, thing because this, I want to bring it up.
1: Yeah. So he was this musician I made friends with, you know, a couple decades, you know, back in the 90s, named the Jazz Butcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had been off Facebook for 10 years. I only signed back in because during the pandemic, he had started uh doing live shows on facebook yeah i only signed in for him and then sort of reconnected with him but before that because he wouldn't he wasn't on facebook when i was on facebook you know around 2009 2010 and i got off in 2012 i I got off for 10 years yeah and and, um after he passed all of a sudden everyone that he'd played with everyone that i had met over the years in the 90s and the 2000s i'd seen it shows that i lost touch with all of a sudden we've all reconnected and we're all now closer in a way that we've ever been. he brought us his passing brought us together in very much the same way we're not going to let those wasted opportunities keep us from communicating connecting with each other anymore and,
0: and that's try. a really beautiful way of keeping his memory alive i think yeah
1: i think so too and it's okay. like i was going to leave after you know i'm like when he does these when it goes back and he finishes the fishing mansion shows live i'm, I'm not going to be on here anymore and when he passed i was like So there was such an outpouring of love and support, you know. I became enamored with the community. That I'm just really, I'm only on there. So I'm, you know, if people want to see, I'm just really bad at social media. But I do kind of keep up Instagram once a month or
0: every
1: two months. Same thing with Twitter. But Facebook, I don't do it all except for now. The Facebook group. So I got off for ten years. I came back on for Pat Fish, the Jazz Butcher, and I remain on there for his fans. Then, you know. Band members that he's connected, that he's played with over the years, that I've become friends with, and so now we're this community is like family.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, we're we're kind of getting towards the end, so let's let's do. Sorry the... about that. I'm a tar- oh do no, I that's I told it you this. It goes wherever sports. it goes, man. That's the best part. That's what I love about this. Is I um I interviewed a comic book creator years ago, uh, Ben Goldsmith. And at the end, he's like, "You never asked me who my favorite comic book writer is." And I'm like, "I don't care. Like, that's not <laughs> that's not what this is about. Like, this is like getting a genuine, you know, every interview is going to ask him that, like a genuine peek at who who you guys are. And um, but we do have to kind of you know make the PR people happy. So what like what do you have coming out coming up? But uh, I know you got a couple movies this year, so.
1: I do, yeah. Um, thank you for asking. Um, I've been fortunate to be busy right before the pandemic, and then right after lockdown lifted, I started mm-hmm. working again. So um, at the moment, I have a film uh, called "I Challenger," directed by Paul Boyd. Which, believe it or not, we were at the Film Threat Awards award this the other night, and we won. Okay. Uh, they have best indie film and best director and best film under oh, Thousand uh, And well, no, we won, which I'm very proud of, to be quite honest. But we won best what the fuck is this movie even of the year award <laughs> I couldn't, right i could yeah. be more proud of him like that sounds like my resume
0: <laughs> yeah that's awesome i like
1: that <laughs> so we won that and i'm very proud of it it's on you know it's available on streaming right now you know like i said it's called i challenger mm-hmm. i play this sort of uh 40 something year old stoner gamer who sells weed to underage kids and is trying to find direction in his life and his he you know he becomes really good friends after a Really bad, failed uh, Tinder date with a character played by an, a marvelous Margaret Cho, who leaves me tied up. <laughs> um, one of my video game friends, uh, I call him to come get me out, and it turns out to be, which is an incredible actor, uh, Coy Stewart, turns out to be this 20 year old kid. And so you figure out that I've been lying who I was online. He's lying who he was online. Margaret Cho and I were lying about each who we were on. So everybody's catfishing each other.
0: Yeah, uh, that's funny.
1: And trying to find the semblance through this, you know, it's like a stoner comedy. You know, he kind of convinces my character I need to find luck. So on a stoned, you know, kind of tirade one night, I watch a bunch of YouTube videos and find these Russian burial videos where Russians were burying themselves for 24 hours for luck and and it was working. So I decide I'm going to bury myself underground for 24 hours with his help. And uh, meanwhile, I have this massive crush on Tina Margarino's character. Uh, who sells me the weed that I sell to the kids from the shop? Yeah, and um, I'm—you realize I'm a bit oblivious to this possible buzz, buzz, blossoming romance with her because I'm just so singularly, you know, caught up in my own melancholy. Yeah. And, uh, so, needless to say, to cut a long story short, we decide to bury, build something, bury myself for out hour, 24 hours underground, live stream it. You know, if it gets lucky, we'll go viral, we we'll change everything. So, who cares about luck? And then let's just say it doesn't go the way we planned. Hence, <laughs> the, I don't want to spoil the movie, but that's. Of I yeah. And I think it's got, a, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I think it's got a lot of heart. You know, uh, it's certainly a little bit different, but something I think most people can identify with, whether you're a stoner or not. Yeah. Um, nice little thing. It's got a, light, a lot of heart in it. There's a nice little, you know, curveball in there. I think that what got me reading it when I was, you know, going over it for the first time and thought, ah, like, I loved it. I mean, I liked it, but now I love it. Like I have to play this character.
0: No, and nice so and, yeah.
1: and let me cut this, guys. I know you have some time, we don't have much time left. Another one's Martin Landau's last movie called Without Ward.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd
1: done this movie 10 years ago that was sort of this futuristic film um, set in the dystopian future where half the world goes under this drug developed by Martin Landau to live out their wildest fantasies. He plays Ward. The movie's called Without Ward. And 20 years into this wonder drug, it stops working. He kills himself and half the world wakes up. Now, since this, de- oh, wow. it, during this time, the government has moved from democracy, republics, to contractualism. So the contracts that everybody signed when they went to sleep because they were never supposed to wake up, yep. what they're stuck to. So they don't know what to do with literally half the world waking up. So they put them on house arrest under penalty of death cut to two years later in this one particular family that we're all living together in and hence the kind of hell of being locked up with each other and possibly a permanent lockdown. With no, oh, God, This, sa- this is
0: like too close to home.
1: <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the kicker of this story is played by Michael Gladys who plays my son who ends up getting naked in the window, falling in love with Alexis Dezegna's character on the other side of the window where they both fall in love and through masturbating to her across the window. He ends up, because I don't want to spoil this, Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, but he ends up saving the world. And okay. <laughs> so if we can all imagine, you know, and I think that this falls into all categories, into all sexualities, you know, who doesn't love to masturbate? So on, <laughs> on that degree, you think about it, as he masturbates and saves the world from this lockdown. For the rest of it, they're going to have to tune in, but that's without Ward. That's, and that's, then the sounds final, like th-
0: another fucked up movie. <laughs> yeah, you know me, I only I like that.
1: to do the best. What the fuck is this movie? Even.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, that's, that's just my forte. I'm proud to say uh, the last, the last one that is currently out right now is called uh, the runner. And it's a, sh- it's a short movie based on the album or not based. It's filmed for the album by the band boy harsher, which is this sort of horror sci fi not sci-fi horror, psychological thriller about this woman on the run for various reasons, uh, society abusers. Um, I, I have a very small part, but because I'm a massive fan of this band and they went and honestly shot this really cool little 25, 30 minute movie. It's available on shutter now. So it's oh, cool. watching on shutter. Yep. It's called the runner by boy harsher. I'm very proud of it. And it's very cool. And it's very out there and the music, is, of course, brilliant.
0: Awesome. You will have to check that out. Um, man this was an absolute pleasure uh I'm, I'm so glad that you know your pr like person came across our inbox this was a lot of fun
1: Um, i'm, I'm honestly you know i'm always flattered honestly that anybody wants to speak to me so andy i i really appreciate it you, i gotta say someone else really appreciates it too
0: oh no way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but frank says hi everybody is that, is that the frank the bunny costume?
1: it's a copy of the exact mold the one that I wore, there's three yeah. of those. So I'll give everyone the lay down on those real quick before we go. One is chromed and was given as a gift to Nancy Yvonen, who was the producer with Drew Barrymore and Flower Films, who helped make Donnie Darko possible. Yeah. So when we finished the movie, the three screen-worn masks that were made at the time, there's more, of course, than mine from the mold as a, and a few others. Uh, one of them was chromed and, was, of course, given as a gift, as a wrap gift to Nancy. Yeah. One uh, was sold to Kirk Hammett. From metallica who has
0: it not surprising at all
1: and the third one my friend jack morrissey has and he just recently donated that and the entire suit that i wore to the motion picture museum oh very good academy basically so there should be something in the press in the next month or two about that wow thanks for reminding me i forgot about that so there will be some press about that i guess we're gonna you know being immortalized at the academy is quite you know quite an honor especially for someone who doesn't come from mainstream film very often who's mostly the the what-the-fuck-is-this-movie-even kind of guy.
0: That's awesome. We'll have to keep our eyes open for that. That'll be cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and you have to do something for me. You have to promise me that when your documentary is ready that you come back on and we talk about uh, that documentary.
1: I I would be honored to come back and talk to you, Andy. Thank you for asking.
0: Because I'm I'm very excited excited to see that because Danger Island was such a a key thing in my my childhood that I'm really eager to see this. Hopefully, let me see
1: if I can't get. I know he's cutting a trailer, but we—you'll see footage that I reenact that whole,
0: the slide, uh,
1: down, yeah, zip line slide and bird calls and yeah. It was really—it was an honor to meet him, and it's an honor to still be working with him because you know because he's 90, 92.
0: Yeah. Doesn't does, does he still do uh, stunts?
1: <laughs> he doesn't do stunts anymore. But to see ninety-two-year-old man still walking around and having his you know his vodka martini once every day at four p.m. and still in great condition done for his age. Yeah. It's a okay.
0: That's awesome. He still
1: runs and teaches the stunt school though. So Jesus. when I did stunts, because I did, i got the opportunity to, so that going back really quick, we're talking about stunts. I wanted to be a stuntman. I stumbled into acting. So I usually do my own stunts as long as they, you know, as much as they afford me. Yeah. So that it was a joy to go with Kim and Kim, you know, of course, let me do all my own stunts in this playing here. Right. That's so awesome. that was one of the, kind of the pluses about it.
0: Outstanding. Jim, again, thank you so much for being on. Uh, To our listeners, thanks for listening as always, and we'll catch you guys again next week.
1: Thanks, everybody. Have a great one, Andy. Thank you.
0: And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, If you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash inebriart to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at Anebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk, Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Art Network, which you can find at Anebriart.com. So thanks again for listening.